And welcome into the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. I am your host, John Neighbors. I am also the host of Out of Bounds, as you can catch every weekday afternoon on 1037 The Buzz and 1037thebuzz.com. This is going to be a great podcast today because we have a lot of things to get to because Hunter Yurichek was able to do a Zoom press conference, if you will, with the Arkansas media members, and there was a lot of great information coming out about that. We're also going to talk about some Razorback football and basketball, but to help me do it, because you don't want to hear me talk the whole time, we have Andrew Hutchinson of hogbeat.com who is joining us. Andrew, appreciate it, man. How you doing? Oh, doing pretty good, John. How about you? Uh, you know, we're making it. We're making it. Obviously, uh, I mentioned with Nikki last week about – you know, us in radio, we can kind of BS our way through uh, a lot of not having sports topics and makes it a lot more fun, a lot more easier, at least for me. I enjoy talking about food and, and all that stuff. But for those of you who have to write, like you and, and Nikki and the guy and clicking on your website and the message boards and all that, I'm sure this has been a time where your uh, creativity really has had to be put into place. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a challenge, especially the last couple of weeks uh, as we I eventually just kind of ran out of ideas. Uh, the first month, month and a half, there was at least kind of news happening and, and ideas that I had backlogged. But uh, lately, it's been uh, pretty, pretty much scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> coming up with content. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, luckily we got to talk to Hunter Yurichek today and uh, was able to get some actual kind of real sports news uh, today. Yeah, I know. It was great. In fact, uh, I got to listen to a little bit of the Hunter Yurchek press conference. I was really bummed. I couldn't get into the Zoom press conference because I had some other stuff going on at work, but I did get to listen to it. And uh, he actually came on uh, The Zone uh, with Justin Acri and Wes Moore on 103.7 The Buzz on our station. So I got to listen to a little bit of that. But I'll just start with the press conference that Hunter Yurchek had, the one that you got to check out. What would you say was your biggest takeaway? Because there's a lot of things we want to get into, but what was the thing that stood out to you the most? I think just the fact that there is a plan in place right now, I think that's the biggest thing because we've just been in this kind of waiting cycle, you know, not really sure what's going to happen. A lot of, you know, talking heads just kind of, you know, spitballing ideas and arguing back and forth. But now there actually seems to be somewhat of a plan, which we kind of learned last week with the SEC allowing voluntary workouts beginning June 8th. Uh, and so we're going to see the first wave of, of athletes coming back, most notably football uh, coming back that day, as well as men's and women's basketball, uh, the other fall sports like cross country, uh, volleyball, soccer. Uh, those sports are going to start coming back. They're going to have to go through, obviously, all sorts of screening. Uh, they're not going to require testing. I think that was kind of a, a big takeaway as well. Uh, they're not going to test every athlete, which that's like 460-something. I can't remember the exact number Hunter Yurchek said, but there's a lot of them. Uh, they're not going to test all of them, uh, but they are going to screen them, make sure they're not coming from places like New Orleans or New York City or things like that where uh, there are kind of some hot spots for the coronavirus. So uh, I think that's just the biggest thing is that there is a, a plan in place. Uh, we can kind of start to see – you know, when student athletes are coming back to campus, that's kind of the first big step before we can start talking about, you know, fall camp and then obviously the season, uh, hopefully getting underway September 5th. Well, I wanted to ask you about the, the thing that Hunter Yurchik, when he was talking about like testing and how they won't be testing, like some people were freaking out about this and saying like, oh, well, you know, why aren't you doing that? Why are you just welcoming them back? And I don't know, I took it from the perspective of that, you know, Hunter Yurchek and the U of A, they have obviously gone through the processes. They've gone through research. They've gone through all of these things. And it just seems like to me that they are kind of just chalking it up to, all right, we're going to attack it as it comes at us. 
We are not going to go over the top, over, you know, over critical. It's, you know, spend all this money on testing and go through all this processes uh, when it's unnecessary. We're going to go more about it as if something arises, we're going to, we're going to plan like the college football season's happening. We're going to have full capacity at stadiums. That's what we're planning for. And then if something hits us or if we get hit with something, we'll scale it back and we'll adjust. Is that kind of the same mentality you got from him as well? Yeah, they've got all sorts of contingency plans for for all that kind of stuff. And I mean, they're 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 not just kind of winging this. I think that's important to note. They are consulting with the experts, the Department of Health, uh, you know, things things of that nature. People that that really know what the best course of action is. And and I think Hunter even said, you know, they told them that you don't necessarily have to test everybody. Uh, they're just going to test those that you know, are showing symptoms, which obviously there's all sorts of, we could talk about, you know, people who are asymptomatic and things like that, but then also uh, they're going to take extra precaution. You know, I know this is a big deal for football because there's several football players from the New Orleans area. And that's one of those, you know, four big hot spots right now in the country. And so they're going to quarantine those guys. I guess a few of the football players, I didn't name any names, obviously for health reasons, but uh, privacy reasons. But uh, some of those guys are already back in Fayetteville going through a 14-day quarantine period. Uh, so it's definitely interesting, and they are, are willing to kind of go with the flow a little bit. There's a reason that he's only welcoming back, you know, the fall sports and basketball on June 8th and then waiting two weeks before welcoming in the next wave, the winter sports. And that's so that way they can learn from this first go-around. If there is – an issue that arises that they didn't foresee, they can, they can make adjustments. So I think, you know, all things considered, it's a pretty solid plan. Uh, but even Hunter was even very open about saying, we're going to have to be willing to adjust on the fly as, you know, they learn more about this, the virus and, and how to respond to it. Well, and it's funny too, because no one really, to me, no one knows anything. Like no one really knows what, college football is going to be looking like what it's going to be about but what I do know is that we are going to have football I think we're all at that point to me the question now is how many fans are going to be in the stands I think that that's the number one question it's not going to be about all right well are the schedules going to be adjusted or anything I think we'll have 12 games I think all the games will go as scheduled I think all that's going to happen the question will be about fan capacity they're planning like they're going to fully have it I would be surprised if they would have uh, full capacity allowed at stadiums. But if you had to put on, you know, your opinion and, and, and put on your thinking hat and look kind of forward, what do you think the capacity will look like? Will any fans be allowed in the stands? You think it'll be a smaller percentage? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, you know, it's hard to say because we're still, what, two and a half months out, something like that. Uh, so things can obviously change. But I, I'm kind of with you in that I, I would be surprised if they're able to be at full capacity. Uh, I, you know, I know Iowa State just recently came out with a, a plan where they're going to only be at 50% capacity, basically only allowing season ticket holders uh, to uh, have tickets and, and come to games. I think that's a, a pretty decent plan. Obviously, I don't know what Arkansas is going to look like then, but I, I would I would expect it to be uh, reduced. Obviously, on the flip side of that is uh, how many fans would show up even if there was no virus. Uh, they've they've been operating. I did the math for last season. They were at about seventy percent capacity for the six home games in Fayetteville uh, last season, and obviously that is paid attendance. I think anyone that was at the Western Kentucky game would tell you they would be shocked if it was anywhere close to fifty percent <laughs> full. So 
that's that's kind of the the other side of the coin is is how many people are actually going to come and obviously they've they've stopped selling single game tickets for right now uh they've only been selling season tickets and they're about 31,000 uh capacity is 60 or 76,000 so they're well short of 50% for season tickets uh, that is uh, going to be something interesting to follow as, as guidelines get updated and, and things like that as we learn more about uh, you know what the virus looks like in Arkansas. And who knows what travel is going to look like. I mean, I, I hope that I get to go to Notre Dame to at least cover the game, but there's a lot of fans that have probably been planning for this trip for several years as, as soon as the game got announced. Now – you know, Notre Dame's come out, so they're not going to have full capacity. So what's it going to look like for road teams getting to travel? I mean, how many tickets are they going to get? That That's another thing I'm kind of anxious to see what it looks like and something that Hunter uh, didn't even address during his uh, video conference this afternoon. Dude, I'm going to be pissed if they, like, cancel the Notre Dame game because, like, you know, there's only so – like, how – I guarantee you that Arkansas playing at Notre Dame in South Bend will not happen – again, in our lifetimes as it doesn't happen this year, you know? So it's like, I understand, you know, you got to be safe and all that, but, you know, maybe they'll allow all, no fans, but media, you know, media is important. So they got to have the media there to, to cover the game. So maybe they'll allow us in that way. I just, I'm going to be really upset if that game does not happen, Andrew. I, I had the same reaction. I've actually already told my wife, we've been talking about making this trip, uh, for quite a while now, you know, flying into Chicago, maybe spending some time there before making the drive over to South Bend. And if, if this doesn't get to happen, it's going to be very, very disappointing because it is a, a unique, I mean, it's a, it's a bucket list item, Notre yeah. Dame college football. I mean, it, it's synonymous. So yeah, I, I would be very upset like you if, if it doesn't happen, but um, I, I do believe the game's going to happen. It's just a matter of how many fans are going to go and if they're going to allow visiting media to cover the game i would i would hope so that would be very you know, extremely disappointing if uh, they didn't let that happen you know andrew uh, i want to shift gears a little bit because uh you know things we've been doing a theme on this podcast now for the past few weeks where you know we've talked about you know biggest what if questions and razorback history and you know just kind of doing some things to keep the theme going and you know, one of the themes that is going on this week is looking back on particular seasons and particular years and kind of just looking at the state of not only football, but just the Arkansas Razorback athletic program in general. And one of these, the year that was, uh, was scheduled today was actually the year 2000. Now, I know that me and you both were a little younger back then, but I, I don't know when you exactly started watching Razorback sports. But do you remember much about like kind of like what everything was going on in the year 2000? Do you have any like, uh, input on what that what it was all about. I've I've read about that era. I mean, I was I was six years old in two thousand, so not very old. I mean, I've been going to games my entire life. I mean, I think my parents took me to my first game when I was five months old. Obviously, have no recollection of that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily remember anything specific about the the two thousand the two thousand season. Uh, I believe you know. Obviously, it was still the Nolan Richardson era with with basketball. Uh, was that the year they won the SEC tournament? Yes, it was. Yes, so so I've I've read about these things. So obviously that was a big deal. Uh, it wasn't the best season. They probably had to win the SEC tournament to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think I've heard that it probably saved Nolan Richardson's job for a couple of years. Uh, and then as far as the football season, I believe was that one of the years where they had to play like five or six different quarterbacks. Yes, it was. Injuries and stuff. Uh, so yeah, it was a. Uh, quite a, an interesting time uh, for Arkansas 
just remember uh, off of that. I don't know anything about the baseball team. I know the baseball team was pretty good in 99. Yeah. I uh, couldn't tell you anything about the 2000 season, to be quite honest. Uh, it was a little bit before. I, I really started following the baseball team in 2004 uh, when they made that run of the College World Series uh, in, uh, I guess it was Van Horn's second year. So, yeah, yeah it, was a, it was definitely an, an interesting time, uh, kind of comparable. You know, they weren't the, – the football team wasn't great. The, the basketball team was, was okay. So, I mean, I guess it was kind of similar to, to the current days. Obviously, we're currently in, in the midst of a historic low period for football, but I guess kind of comparable. We'll continue our conversation with Andrew Hutchinson of hogbeat.com here in just a second. But first, folks, I got to tell you about this Built Bar thing. I know you've been hearing me talk a lot about it, but here's the thing. It is so great. Like, I'm trying to get back in shape, and it's not easy. But luckily for me, Built Bars is having a great deal with the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. That's right. If you go to their website, builtbar.com, you can enter in the promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. 16 amazing flavors. They got eight chocolate with nut flavors and also eight chocolate with nut-free flavors for those of you who may be allergic to it all. It's covered in 100% chocolate, and it's soft and easy to chew. It's also great for the health-conscious guys, which we're all trying to do. Lose or maintain your weight while indulging in a delicious treat, and they're also low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. It's the best thing you could possibly get, and that's what's great about it is that we're having a deal right now here on the Locked on Razorbacks podcast. So if you want to be a little healthier, if you want to have a snack that's a little easier to digest and a little easier for making it better for you to be healthy, just go to BuiltBar.com, go to the promo code page, enter in Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. It's that simple, so do it. Again, BuiltBar.com. Promo code locked on, $10 off your first order, and I promise you folks, you will not regret it. You are locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. Yeah, because like I was trying to think back to what that time was, and it's funny you brought up like the the four quarterbacks. Like they had to go and get, I think his name is John Rutledge yep. off of the intramural fields because they were so short on quarterbacks he even played in a game which i just couldn't imagine like some dude that looks like me out there you know trying to trying to play football for an sec team but i, I the thing i remember about that too is like and this is people are going to laugh because they all know about my disdain for houston nut but it just seemed like that that was like the ideal year of like man it just showed you that you know the, that was like the beginning of a huge drought of quarterback play. Now, I know Matt Jones played, uh, you know, under, under Nutt, but let's be honest. Matt Jones was good because of his athleticism and his insane ability to in clutch moments. Like, that's why he was good. He was a decent quarterback. I'm not going to say he wasn't bad, but he just wasn't to the level that you would need to compete in the SEC year in and year out. And then once he left, you had kind of like another rotation of quarterbacks where it was like, all right, we got Robert Johnson. Now we got – Casey Dick. Now we got Mitch Mustaine. And to me, it, it was just such a crazy time because you're talking about essentially close to a 10 year drought of average to below average quarterback play. And then like in the 2010s, you had arguably the best stretch of quarterbacks in Arkansas football history. And I just is amazing how, you know, if you contrast those two decades to see the differences and obviously the great success that Arkansas had, uh, in the quarterback room and how successful they were on the seat and on the field during those seasons. But it is always, I've always found it fascinating that Arkansas had that great stretch of quarterback play after going so long without having good quarterback play in the two thousands. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think another big factor in that is who the coach was. I mean, Bobby Petrino yeah. is is known for for coaching quarterbacks, uh, and I don't think anyone would deny that that there's no way Ryan Mallett would have come to Arkansas, you know, transferred to Arkansas had it not been uh, for Bobby Petrino getting hired. Uh, and then you know, Tyler Wilson, local kid, uh, Brandon Allen, local kid, uh, Austin Allen. You know, people forget about you know the younger Allen brother. Uh, people probably thought that he was terrible during that couple of years he started just because he wasn't quite the level of you know the quarterbacks before him but I guarantee you not a soul in Arkansas w- would say no thanks to Austin Allen coming back and being the quarterback the last couple of years because uh, man it, <laughs> the, the last couple of years has been uh, one of the most incredible insane uh, stretches of quarterback play that probably is even only slightly comparable to the 2000-2001 to kind of stretch you're talking about because you had the, you know, cycle through Robbie Hampton, Ryan Soraham, Zach Clark, uh, obviously before the Matt Jones era. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite an, a great run of quarterbacks. And Arkansas got a little bit spoiled. Now you just kind of hope that uh, Felipe Franks can come in and it be, at least be, you know, decent and, and kind of guide the, guide the ship and not just be atrocious like we've seen mm-hmm. the last two years. Well, and it's and it's not like saying anything that's like so you know groundbreaking. But it, if anything has proven to anybody over the past ten years in Razorback football is that if you have a good quarterback, you have a good team. Like more often than not, it will be a direct correlation. Now, obviously, you got to have the coaching to go along with it. But it's amazing that you know the years with Mariah Mountain, Tyler Wilson, you talked about. And it's like you all, I always felt like even with Brandon Allen and Austin Allen, maybe to a lesser extent, but with those guys, it's like even with Arkansas, with, with they're down late in the game, I'm like, I have confidence that they can make a play. I'm not saying they will every time, but that they can lead a drive down the field to score a touchdown, to get in field goal range, whatever. And when you have that confidence, especially as a fan, you know, it just changes your whole perspective of the coaches and of the teams and everything. But the past two years, yeah, it's been terrible. Yeah, you're two and ten, and there's a reason why. But when you've had such an aptitude at the quarterback position, it really damages you to where it's like, man, you know, Felipe Franks, you mentioned him. It's gonna take him like a few times to prove that he can actually do something before people will start believing him because they've been burned and gone through so many quarterbacks over the past two to three seasons that it, it's going to take a while for the confidence to get built back up with Razorback fans and believing that if the game's on the line in a clutch situation or in a clutch moment, you have somebody under center, or I guess in this case behind center, that'll be able to lead you down the field and make the plays. Oh, no doubt. It's definitely going to take some time. I mean, I remember when uh, Frank's first committed, everyone was like, oh, no, it's, it's another Ben Hicks or Nick Starkle. Like, we saw how well those guys turned out because – if you remember when those guys came in, you know, I, I, I was guilty of it too. I said that oh, there's no way they're going to be as bad as Ty Story and Cole Kelly last year. Well, <laughs> they, they ended up being arguably worse uh, than, than those guys were. And so I can see the, the, the hurt in Arkansas fans. You know, I've, I experienced it growing up. And so I, I understand where they're coming from. Uh, but yeah, eight, eight different starting quarterbacks. That's a stat that just, it blows my mind. Every time I see it, eight starting quarterbacks the last two seasons, and Arkansas started a different quarterback for five straight games in the year last year. Five different starting quarterbacks. I don't have any way to research this, but I have got to imagine that's the only time in college football history that's ever happened. I cannot imagine there's another situation that was as 
drastic or as crazy as that. I know there have been some similar ones. I know Maryland has experienced quite a few injuries. And obviously, we talked about Arkansas in the early 2000s. That was crazy. But you didn't have these guys starting. They didn't have uh, John Rutledge starting a game at quarterback. Uh, you had Jack Lindsay and John Stephen Jones starting games at quarterback last year, and that's just it's – inc- it's incredible. Nothing against those guys, but this is the SEC, and, you know, those guys were not necessarily uh, – you know, Jack Lindsay was a walk-on, and, and I like him. He graduated from Spring, Ohio. That's where I'm from. I love him to death, but he's a walk-on that was starting a game uh, in, in the SEC, and that's just – it's just crazy to me. Locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. Yeah, and especially when you, you know you see Mike Ben Hicks move or not Ben Hicks, uh, uh, Ty Story move on, and you know obviously we know how it ended with Western Kentucky and all that, but it, it was just like man, you know you thought, at least I did, that when Ty Story and Cole Kelly and all that, I was like, okay, well these guys just suck, like they're not any good. That's the problem. But then as you see them and they go out, and I mean, they didn't set the world on fire and become Heisman candidates, but it, it, it shows you, it's like, man, it, coaching matters. Coaching yeah. matters so much, so much in college football. And I guess maybe that's where my optimism comes in because I've been burned before. We all have, but my optimism comes in with Kendall Bryles and this new coaching staff because I'm like, man, I, I believe there's talent on this team. I believe that on offense especially – you have some serious talent. I mean, you got two stud wide receivers in Trey Knox and Traylon Burks. You got a big time all SEC caliber running back in Rakeem Boyd. You have some a young tight end, which we'll see how it goes. But one of the guys that everyone wanted with uh, Hay, uh, Hayden Henry, like you feel like he's he's right there that he's going to be able to uh, take that next step. And then you have a quarterback that has legitimate SEC experience. I don't think anyone's expecting him to you know come in and be Baker Mayfield, but you know. You have talent there, and that's where my optimism comes in. Like, it wasn't ever as much of a talent problem as we thought. They weren't a good team talent-wise, but the coaching was what was the problem. With proper coaching now with this new staff, we'll wait and see if it happens. I believe that if they get that with this team and with the players they have, they can make some noise. Now, I don't know what that means. Maybe it just means going 6-6. Six and six, That's fine. But – I would be hard-pressed to think that this team goes anywhere close to 2-10 and because I think offensively they do have some firepower. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no excuse for losing to San Jose State, Western Kentucky, Colorado State, North Texas. I mean, those, those are inexcusable losses. Uh, you, can, you can say, oh, well, Arkansas lost to Alabama and Auburn LSU because they just don't have enough talent. That, that, that's understandable, totally fair, and, and I'll accept it. But there is no reason – that you should lose to those group of five teams that you are clearly more talented than. And I think that comes down to the coaching, like you said. And I think that there is a reason for optimism. I mean, Kendall Bryles has had success on offense basically everywhere he's been. Uh, he didn't exactly have set the world on fire at Florida State, but if you look at what Florida State was the year before he got there, he took him up a notch. Uh, he improved that offense in just one year. And he did so with what many consider the worst offensive line in the country. I know Arkansas fans think that Arkansas has the worst offensive line, uh, but basically every metric out there that measures offensive line play pointed to Florida State having the worst, at least in the Power Five, if not in all of FBS. So to have improvement even with that offensive line, you think, okay, 
He's coming to Arkansas. Doesn't have a great offensive line, but you got Sam Pittman at the helm who knows a thing or two about offensive line. Maybe he can kind of improve the offensive line at least a little bit, and maybe you got something to work with. And I think that Arkansas should at least expect, uh, in my opinion, they should at least double their win total uh, this coming year. I think that would be a, a very good step in the right direction because uh, that means you're winning – uh, the three gimme non-conference games, you're probably not going to win at Notre Dame. Uh, obviously, who knows if, you know, if they've got as big of a home, home field advantage without fans, if that's the case. But uh, you're probably not going to beat Notre Dame, and, and maybe you can win an SEC game in that losing streak and, and build some momentum uh, moving forward and, and can kind of get things going. I think uh, – I can't remember who – I think it was SB Nation did a story about uh, coaches that were not in just year zero but year negative one – and Arkansas is one of those schools, and I agree with that. It's going to be really, really tough, especially with the virus eliminating spring practice, uh, really messing with the you know summer workouts and things like that. It's going to be a, a tough road ahead, but I think there is, as you mentioned, a lot of reason for optimism moving forward. All right, last one for you, Andrew. i got to talk baseball with you. I believe that if the season would have happened, Heston Kerstad, I'm not saying he would have won the Golden Spikes, but I think he could have had an Andrew Benintendi-type year. And that's saying something. I feel like he was on pace to do that. Is that too much of a stretch? Did you see – do you feel like he could have had that type of year given how he started and uh, how good of a player he truly was? Hell, I'll go ahead and say it. I think he would have won the Golden Spikes. Oh, wow. I really do. Um, I, I just think he was going to have a monster year. I predicted it before the season, and then I felt really, really good after that first 16 games where he was hitting around 450, had six home runs, a gajillion RBIs. I mean, he was just on fire. He also was not striking out. I mean, if you look at it, he had the fewest strikeouts among Arkansas players, uh, the, the primary, you know, everyday players. So I think he was on his way to having a, a fantastic season. You know, Dave Van Horn has mentioned that he thinks he would have hit 25 home runs. I'm not quite – ready to say he would have hit 25 because that's an astronomical number in college baseball I think he would have gotten really close and I think he would have challenged the single season home run record I think he would have challenged the all-time record in three years which is incredible considering the top two guys on that list played four years uh, and I think he if you do that in the SEC if you hit around 400 even if you hit 380 and you hit 20 plus home runs and you have it's 50 RBI 60 RBI something like that uh, then I think you're going to put yourself in a really, really good spot to be considered for National Player of the Year because uh, it's the best conference in, in college baseball. So, yeah, I think it was he was on his way, and, and I'm anxious to see who, who drafts him uh, next month in the draft because they're going to get a really good player that's, I think, capable of making the big leagues uh, with his bat very, very quickly and having a pretty good career. Uh, and he's, and I'm, I'm happy for him that he's going to get to make a lot of money uh, but selfishly, I'm, I'm very jealous that we didn't get to see a, a monster so, uh, junior season from him this year at Arkansas. I know. I'm, like, depressed that, you know, we d- we'll never get to see him in another Razorback uniform. Like, it's just kind of like that depressing feeling. It's, it's like Maybe it's a little too much, but it's almost like imagine that if you played at one game in, uh, in 2007 in football and then it's like, okay, we'll never get to see Darren McFadden again. 
you know, we, don't, we never would have got to see that 321-yard game against South Carolina. Like, I just feel like, you know, we could have had a game like that or a, a stretch or whatnot that could have been all time, and we would have just never known it. So it's really depressing to think, but, you know, that's, that's against well, any type of control that we have. But I know he'll probably do very well in the MLB, that is for sure. That's Andrew Hutchison of hogbeat.com. Andrew, as always, man, really appreciate you hopping on with us. You guys do a great job over at hogbeat.com. You can follow him on Twitter at NWA Hutch. And we'll be catching up with you, man, I'm sure, later down the road, all right? Yeah, looking forward to it. You are Locked On Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. 